So this morning we are continuing with our short series. We've been thinking about loving God, loving the church, and this morning we're going to think about loving the lost. And again, I will say there, there's no, there's no um, main text for this morning, but what we're doing is, I suppose, really getting some broad brushstrokes brush on, on evangelism to get us thinking, to get us praying, to get us talking together. So before we think about this, let's take a moment and pray together. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you again for the privilege of meeting together as your people brought together in Christ. And as we think about love for the lost, indeed trying to bring the message and the truth of the gospel to those who do not know We pray that you will stir our hearts this morning. Father, we pray that your truth would speak to us. And we pray that we will be satisfied in your word this morning. That even now we will be longing for more of you um, in your word. That we might be changed by that. And so might even be a more effective minister of your gospel. So Father, please speak to us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder what you think of when you think of evangelism or an evangelist. Perhaps um, you might think of somebody like Billy Graham, preaching the gospel to thousands of people with often thousands responding to the gospel call. Or perhaps you might think of people you know who who seem particularly gifted at evangelism, who perhaps they enjoy door-to-door work or something like that. Or perhaps you think of events organized by a local church, perhaps with lots of build-up, with flyers and invites, leading up to an evangelistic event. Well, we ended last week by reading from John 13. And there Jesus said, Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. And last week we thought about how to love each other with a redemptive or a holy love which is God's purpose for us as his people. And this week I want to suggest to you that loving each other with a holy love or or our, our growing together, our becoming like Christ, is the first step to evangelism. This is God's way. This is God's means of bringing people to himself. At the induction service a few weeks ago, I said, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it many other times, but I said that the health of the local church is key to the growth of the local church. The health of the local church is key to the growth of the local church. Again, last week we referred back to Exodus, how God rescued his people, and then he gave them the Ten Commandments, the first four concerning love for God, and then the other six concerning love for each other. 
And what is the point of these commandments? Well, of course, first and foremost, that God is glorified, but that Israel could be a light to the nations. That as God's people are living under God's loving rule, enjoying God's blessing, that others would see and know how good it is to live under God's rule. That, that others would actually look at God's people and see life lived at its very best. And this distinctly good life would attract others. They, that they would want this life. And so God's people could point them to God. God said in Exodus 19, he, he said to his people, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We read in Deuteronomy 4, and where Moses is teaching the people, he says, Keep God's commands, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? See, God's people living under God's rule is the means by which others would be drawn to God. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches that his people are the light of the world. We're to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And in Acts 2, we, we get that um, model church that, that it's often called, where, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's essentially what we thought about last week, how God's people should live together. But then we see that it is as they were living in this way together that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, as God's people live distinctly different where they are placed, others will notice the difference and this will be the means by which they will come to know, to hear the gospel, to know God and glorify him. Listen to what Peter says. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house, again, that's what we thought about last week, and the purpose to be a holy priesthood. And we read further, For you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that ye may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And further again, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, the means by which others will come to know God is how God's people themselves live in this world with each other how they relate, their character, their manner, their care for one another. Evangelism is not an event, but the way of life for God's people. We think of the Apostle Paul. Of course, his heart was evangelism. 
He was given a ministry by God to the Gentiles. And his letters that we have in the New Testament, they've been called the, the missionary letters. So, so that is, his overriding purpose was always that the gospel would advance and that the church would be added to. But it's interesting, because if you read the letters, you could say that Paul never talks really about evangelism per se. Now, the letters, the general makeup of the letters is the first chapters we get the gospel. This is who you are in Christ. And then the following chapters is the application. This is how you should live as God's people. His focus is on the holiness of God's people. So why is this? Because the health of the local church is key to the growth of the local church. Paul's desire was that the church would be added to, and key to that was the holiness of God's people. And much of holiness as described in the New Testament is to do with our personal relationships with each other. Our manner, our character, our care, as I said, and love for each other. So we we want people to be added to the local church. And what we've got to remember is that God saves an individual to a community. So we've got to ask, what is our life together like? Are our relationships defined by sacrificial, other-centered love? Are we committed, patient, forgiving, gentle, looking to each other's needs before our own? Do you know earlier this year was declared a loneliness epidemic in the UK by a medical council? People are lonely. People are longing to be cared for, to be loved, to have, to have some kind of sense of belonging. And is that not just what we spent last week thinking about? Surely the way we live together, or we ought to live together, is what people are actually longing for. So we've got to ask ourselves, perhaps for a moment look to the past, what have we been known as? What are we known as now? And what can we be known as as we continue striving together? As God's people, we are his priesthood in Christ, as was the purpose of God's people in in Exodus, which of course they failed to do. Instead of showing people how good it was to live under God's rule, they actually ran after other gods. But we'll use this phrase, the priesthood of all believers. And what this simply means is that if you are a Christian, wherever you go, everything you do is done in service to God to proclaim who he is. If you are a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel to those around you day by day. Just the other day, I was at the filling station to get fuel, and pump beside me, there was someone who had just got fuel, but he was still sitting in his car. And another car pulled up behind him, and I could see the way this was going to go. The lady in the car behind got out. She went up to the window in the car in front, gave it a tap. The guy put down the window, and she gave him a good telling off. 
Then she turned to come back, and I could see she was making constant eye contact with me. I was trying to look straight ahead and just hold my steering wheel before I would get out. But she kept staring at me, and so eventually I looked at her, and as soon as she got eye contact, she said, so frustrated, he's eating a dinner. She just couldn't believe it, and she just had to vent this frustration that this man was sitting at the pump having his lunch while she needed to get her feel. Now, perhaps this sounds familiar. Perhaps we've been that lady. If we proclaim a gospel of peace and joy and contentment, do our lives display peace and joy and contentment? Where do we get our peace and joy and contentment? Is this defined and and therefore confined by, by everyday circumstances such as I just mentioned? And if so, I wonder what this says to the world. Does Christ make any difference in our lives? Are we distinctly different in that our peace and our joy and our contentment is found in Christ in being God's treasured possession and having eternal loving relationship with God our Creator and in fact knowing that for us always the best is yet to come? Or are we no different to those around us? Do we run after those gods. We're looking to things and people for peace and joy and contentment and respect and recognition and comfort and whatever else. You see, we, the people of God, are the means by which others see what God is like. We are the means of authenticating the gospel. In other words, our lives show people whether the gospel is real or not. Our lives show people whether the gospel has real power or not. So the first step in evangelism, I believe, is actually looking to ourselves as God's people. How are we living together? Are we growing in holiness? Are we becoming more like Christ. Now as we begin to look out to those outside the family of God, how then do we view them? We read in the Gospels that when Jesus looked upon crowds, we read this different times, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw people who were, who were desperately needy, who were lost in life we could say they weren't able to make sense of life perhaps people who've been looking for joy and peace in, in all the wrong places and we could say really the whole story of scripture is how God has pursued us how he saw our need and our lostness but, but he found us and rescued us and, and gave us what our hearts were longing for and perhaps as you think about particular people who are lost, those people who you would love to see come to know God Do you have compassion? We see in the Gospels that when Jesus had compassion, it was his compassion that moved him to act. Are we moved by compassion? Do you know if you've been through a similar experience as someone, perhaps a significant bereavement, 
perhaps a disappointment or a sin struggle, you will have so much compassion for that, that person because you personally know the struggle, the pain, the experience. And it's that compassion that actually moves you to want to help. When we think of those who do not know Christ, we should be the most compassionate of all people. I think we can often be, be quick to be shocked and horrified at other people's sin. Now, yes, it's right that we should grieve sin in the lives of others. We should be disturbed when we see life far from what it was meant to be and see destructive effects of that. But we should be so compassionate because we've been there. We get it. We understand. We, we once experienced life without God and, and our hearts just go out to these people because, well, well, we've come out the other side, so to speak, and, and we look at them and we just long to see them where we are now, knowing God's love, living life in Christ. To have compassion in others, we need to know that we were once there. We were dead in our sins. We had God's judgment and wrath coming to us, but God lovingly and graciously gave us life in Christ. And so we should have compassion on those who have God's judgment and wrath coming to them. And as God has pursued us, so we can, in a sense, show people what God is like as we pursue them. I had a best friend from school, which I still have, and... Um, for many years, we, we had several conversations talking about the Lord. I tried to pursue him. And I wanted to see him come to know the Lord. But, you know, more recently, I've, uh, I've almost given up, uh, even trying to meet up with him. And I've become annoyed at his lack of response towards me. And my attitude towards him has increasingly become, well, it's your own fault. You've made your bed so you can lie in it. But you see, in that I've lost sight of myself, of who I once was, because it was my fault and my sin that God's judgment was coming to me. But in love, God took me out of the bed that I had made for myself and he gave me new life. So we have compassion. When we have compassion, we will be moved to act Next point I want to make, we get to know people. We need to get to know people. I don't know if you've heard of Rosaria Butterfield um, or her, her testimony. She was a, she's a university professor in English and, and women's studies. She was a lesbian, a feminist, and much of her life was, was devoted to research and writing in opposition to a Christian view. Uh, and mainly as a result of Christians who aggravated her because of their hatred towards her and, and others like her. But she thought if she was going to properly oppose Christians, she needed to read the Bible. And so she did. And the first article she released was an article attacking the Trinity, to which she received a lot of response. And she said that, that on her desk she, she had two piles. One was hate mail and the other was fan mail. 
But she said there was one letter that came that didn't really fit in either pile. It was from a man called Ken Smith, who was a Reformed Presbyterian minister. And I quote her, she said, It was a kind and inquiring letter. He didn't argue with her, but he got her to explore her own thoughts, which she really appreciated. Now, she initially put the letter in the bin, but came back to it and responded. And I'm going to read you part of this um, article of, of her testimony. She says, With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. She said, Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at Gay Pride marches, that Christians who mocked me on Gay Pride Day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as blue sky. That's what she thought. But she says, this is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. And my motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good for my research. But something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They they did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. Listen to this. This is interesting. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of a sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Cain's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. Here's a really interesting thing. And because Cain and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe. And she goes on, talks about a lot of the details of of that time in her life. And then towards the end she says, Then one ordinary day I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there, Floyd was there, the church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. She says, I rested in private peace, then community, And today, in the shelter of a covenant family, where one calls me wife, and many call me mother. She says, I have not forgotten the blood of Jesus surrendered for this life. It's a great conversion story to read. But it encapsulates a lot of the points that I'm trying to make. See, we don't need to panic into evangelism. And what, what strikes, one of the things that strikes me is that this pastor, he, he wasn't panicking to get her through the doors of the church building, but pursued her as a person and got to know her. And so conversations about the gospel naturally evolved. Ken and his wife, Floyd, they, they had compassion on her. They were moved to act. They pursued her as a person. They got to know her. She got to know them. They weren't afraid to show their own sin. She didn't need to be in a particular building. You see, we are the church. 
where we are, church, is. And so my challenge from this as we strive to bring the gospel to those around us is to get to know people, not about them. Get to know them. Allow them to get to know you. One great way of getting to know people is to have them in your home. Rosera has actually written a book on, on hospitality, which I have yet to read. But one great way of getting to know people is have them in your home. Show them a hospitality. Often we, we think of hospitality as inviting people we know, and perhaps we, we'll feel good. We've, we've hosted a great evening, and then we wait for them to return the favor. But you see, again, as Christians, our hospitality should be distinctly different from the world's. The actual word hospitality, Christian hospitality, it's a combination of the words love and stranger. Show love to strangers through hospitality. Show God's love to strangers through hospitality. What do we think of those? Think of those who perhaps you wouldn't normally think of inviting into your home. Perhaps some of the contacts here we, contacts here we have around the church in Drumgore and in Askeen and other places. Do you know these people? Do they know you? I wonder, could you, could you pick a family and invite them for tea once a week? Perhaps on a Monday before jam. Or if that's not feasible, perhaps you could go for coffee once a week with one of the parents. Now, you don't need to be running yourself into the ground having people every evening of the week, but perhaps you could just pick one family who are not believers and simply get to know them. You see, inviting people into your home actually says, I'm interested in you. I, I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. Now, of course, it was through reading the Bible... Okay, coming to the truth of who Christ was and the work of the Spirit that Rosario became a Christian. Okay, people pass from death to life by word and spirit. And what is that word? It's the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not what we do or how we treat others, but Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And you'll see how God's word has been so central to all that we've been thinking about. It was the truth of God's word that gave us life. It is as we long for more of God in his word that we are changed. And as we are changed, we want others to be longing for that same word that has changed us. We want others to know us so that they can see our lives to be so distinctly different, so that they can see our lives to be so desirable that they just have to ask, look, what is it about your life? And there is our opportunity to say, well, let me tell you about God's love in Jesus. And we know that God's Spirit works when God's Word is proclaimed. And then when people know us, they will not only hear the power and truth of the Gospel, they have seen the power and truth of the Gospel. And I will close simply with this. If we believe that it is word and spirit, ultimately, that will change people, we will pray. We will pray and we will keep praying persistently 
we will plead to God for those that are lost around us. We meet here on Thursday evenings and and Sunday evenings, some Sunday evenings. Let's be there. Let's be serious about praying together for the lost around us. And may indeed God increase our love for them. Let us pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you for truth and the power of your gospel that is Jesus Christ. What a blessed and glorious gospel we have. We thank you that you have loved us, that you have poured your love into our hearts in Christ by your Spirit. And and we thank you for the extent of that love, the the overflow of expression to each other and even on then to those that are lost. And so, Father, as we continue to strive to grasp greater your love for us, may our love for the lost grow and grow. Father, will you give us compassion like Christ had compassion? We thank you that your love for us moved you to pursue us, even moved you to send your own son to this world to die in our place. And so, Father, may we strive in our lives day by day to pursue others, to get to know others, that they might see something of the power of of the truth of the gospel at work in our lives, that they might see something of God that makes us distinctly different. And may we take every opportunity to proclaim the truth of God's love in Christ. And we know that when we speak your truth, your Holy Spirit works. So Father, will you unite us together to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray pleading to you that you would first change us, continue to change us, revive us, transform us further into the likeness of Christ. And as you're doing that, may our eyes come off ourselves and on to others who are out there who do not know Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.